Good morning and happy Monday. I'm Sana and I'm so glad we get to spend some of our Monday morning together. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. So y'all, one thing you should know about me is that I absolutely love food. I love to cook food. I love to eat food. I love to feed friends, family, strangers. It, look, it's all about food over here. As a child, I was told I was a happy eater. And I think that is probably, that should be in my bio because that, that is me. I'm a happy eater, <laughs> but there's so much more to food than what we may think about. You know, it's not just walking into the grocery store and it's not even just maybe the crops that we see growing right on the side of the road or at our farmer's market when we go to get our groceries. So to talk more about food and especially the science behind food, I am joined by Allie Manning. Allie Manning is a food scientist and entrepreneur. After earning her degree in food science and technology, Allie worked as a food scientist for nearly a decade before launching Umami Food Consulting. Allie is also the Levitt Shell Professionals Board Chair of Equity and Inclusion. She's an Ag Launch Mentor and Black Restaurant Week and Feed the Soul Foundation Advisory Board Member and Consultant. And you may also know Allie from her Food Science for Kids program. We're going to get into a lot of this and more this morning. Good morning, Allie, and welcome. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I am doing so good. You know, I I do love Monday. So it's so exciting for us to be chatting today and to be chatting about again. I just have to say it again. One of my favorite topics, food. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, someone told me a long time ago, you always have a job because people have always got to eat. And that is so true. <laughs> Yes, I love, you know what, someone should have told me that and then maybe I could be in some sort of food related industry. But you know, for now, I'm just, you know, a food enthusiast. Good enough. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So let's just jump right into it. Now you are a food scientist and formally trained in food science and technology. Now, what is food science? Let's just start there. Yeah, so food science really considers the chemical, biological, and physical properties of food. So that's in relation to production, manufacturing, growing, and even storage. Um, so we do all kinds of things from research to creating new products and innovative products, uh, determining what's on the market, and using consumer trends to create these products, essentially. Wow, there's so much in there because I think we often just think about food like, okay, what's for dinner, right? And not, you just described like so many aspects of food science. So we're going to get into some of those different components in a moment. But first, can you just tell me, because I think people think, might think food science and often think like the nutrition side. So is food science and nutrition is that the same or how is it different or does it overlap? Yeah, so food science and nutrition overlap. They are slightly different. So nutrition is all about the nutrients of the food. So the study of the nutrients like carbohydrates, fats, uh, fiber, those types of things. So it's going to get into that. And also it considers the uh, topics like obesity or malnutrition, even food insecurity, whereas food scientists, once again, we use chemistry, biology to create new food products um, and, and even reformulate existing ones. So they're slightly different topics for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I know you mentioned this idea of new food products. So now I feel like we're getting real futuristic. Like what does that mean, new food products? So years ago, kombucha was not a thing, right, on the market, right? So we typically analyze what's on the market, what consumers are already enjoying, what culinary chefs are doing, 
we kind of evaluate what's going on in the media um, to create new products um, based on trends and also based on consumer um, behavior. So for example, um, gluten-free wasn't necessarily a big thing years ago. And now it's become a thing because, you know, we have, um, you know, diseases where people cannot process gluten. Um, and so a new food products can come from different regions. It could come from, you know, uh, a need for a different type of food products. For example, like Impossible Burgers, you know, um, people are not always uh, interested in meat byproducts. So how can we feed a growing population using plants? And so Impossible has found a way to create a burger that is delicious um, from a plant source. So that's, a, that's kind of the definition of a new food item based on what's going on in the consumer trends. Mm, okay, I see. You know, and it's so funny because some of these or what were at one point new food products kind of now just seem like just a expected everyday integrated part of what we eat. So you mentioned that some of these new food products might be, um, I guess, maybe inspired or following trends that maybe chefs are introducing, that maybe consumers are becoming more interested in. And so I'm wondering, what is that interplay between all these different kind of entities in regards to food? Like, who is really driving the trends or how do some of those decisions get made as to what new food products might be created? Right. So once again, we're looking at the media, we're looking at um, consumer behavior, also industry experts. So food scientists, we're driven, you know, we're always looking at data. We're always looking at what's going on. Um, out in the industry. And many times you can see what's going on simply from TikTok. You know, you can see that, you know, people are creating innovative food items simply from TikTok. And so we're watching a lot of those different behaviors. Um, and I think as food scientists too, we, we know how, we know the psychology too, you know, we, we eat with our eyes. So consumers are looking at flaming Hot Cheetos and are like, okay, this is a bright red spicy snack. I want to have it. And I want to have it on popcorn and chips and chicken and everything else. You know, we look at mukbangers even. I know I do for look at mukbangers for trends. And so um, we use what's going on outside of our industry and what's going on within our industry, as well as what's going on with um, growing uh, patterns and agriculture to help guide what's going on in the industry. And um, it's always so interesting because it changes so much. Science and research changes so much. And sometimes that funding, the funding that you get for the research that you do also plays a role in what's being produced. If a company is trying to grow a different type of seed in order to sell it, they're going to do some research on it, <laughs> you know, and then some testing and then and begin to market it. So there's a lot that goes into it. But generally, it's consumer driven, what sales and then what, uh, what the experts have to say. As I was listening to you kind of describe how all these different folks kind of influence food science, I was definitely thinking about how much uh, potential profit, right, might be factoring into this. And you mentioned it when you said, you know, if folks are trying to maybe grow certain types of seeds and maybe introduce, you know, new crops, and then how then will those crops be translated into food products? So it's definitely a lot playing into what we end up seeing at our grocery store or on a menu. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So, <laughs> so yeah, definitely interesting. Yes. Now you mentioned something that piqued my interest because I, I will tell you, um, I love chips. That's my favorite snack. And then you said flaming Hot Cheetos. And I love, you know, all the spicy hot chips, the hot fries, yes. all that. And I think that's such a good example of kind of like a food trend. Whereas at a certain point, we didn't have flaming Hot Cheetos. Right. right. <laughs> And you couldn't go into a restaurant and get flaming hot Cheeto mac and cheese. Or right, 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 exactly. And so 
I, I think it's so fascinating how many times our food system can be cyclical. Um, for example, like butter is bad, then be, margarine became a thing, then now people are going back to butter and, you know, fat replacements. So there's a lot that goes on in our food system um, based on science and based on opinion. You know, we have a lot of food bloggers and writers who say a lot about what's going on in our food system that is not always factual. And so um, I think as consumers, we have to really educate ourselves the best way we can. Um, and what I say, when I'm out eating, I eat things in moderation. If I want a snack that may be considered unhealthy, I'm going to eat it in moderation. So me being a food scientist doesn't really shift what I eat. I have my preferences, um, but I always just say eat it in moderation because you can't avoid all the additives. You can't avoid, you know, you, you can, you know, be an extremist, but otherwise you really can't avoid it. There's so many other environmental factors besides a McDonald's chicken nugget. So <laughs> every yeah. now and then. Yes, that's such a good point. And I'm glad you said that because I think we can start to feel overwhelmed by the amount of messaging we get around food, around, you know, don't eat this, don't eat that, these additives, if you see this on a package, don't eat it at all, you know, um, and that can be overwhelming. I even find myself even currently kind of going through like a little food crisis where, you know, I was watching something that was talking about, um, fish, farm-raised fish, mm -hmm. um, and how that's not healthy. But then you think about uh, fish that are caught, you know, in the wild and all of the contaminants and pollutants that might be in the water. Right. right. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well then what, what do I eat? Then you think about uh, veganism and then mm -hmm. all of the ways that food, some food is being made into other food. Right. <laughs> It, it'll drive you crazy if you let it. So, you know, just think about what's nutritious, healthy, and fun. And I think that that's the gist of how I consume. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good rule. Yes. Nutritious, healthy, and fun. I love the fun part of it. Absolutely. So I think that is going to help me myself kind of pull myself out of this, <laughs> out of this like overwhelming, right? Um, too much information. Uh, now, could you give us an example of a new food product that maybe you help create and then the process behind that? Okay, so let me think. Um, <laughs> year, a few years back, years ago, when I was in the industry, um, our division worked in dressing sauces and mayonnaises. And so one of our um, clients was Sonic. Um, and so we worked, and Dairy Queen, but Sonic, uh, we worked on developing uh, a match for one of their sauces. So uh, that's always fun. You essentially get a match or you get their product in. And what's fun is about these types of tests, um, you actually get the product. You actually get the chicken <laughs> strips or the chicken nuggets or the wings we had a study i had done a study for hooters and got all these wings in mcdonald's got all these hash browns so there's so many there's so many fun aspects of being a food scientist like eating all this stuff but but then you talk about food waste because we can't give it away you know i think there there have been some new legisl legislation around donating food now that have been updated but back then we were constantly wasting food um but yeah, so we created sauces. Essentially, we would get a match. I hope that makes sense. We would get product in from the company and try to match it. So we would match the flavor profile, the consistency, the color, the taste. That's the flavor profile. And then do an evaluation. And so um, we have some standards that we have, um, some forms to fill out, and then we taste. And we continue to reformulate until we get the best match and so that's that's kind of a fun product that I worked on mm, I love sauces so that yeah. sounds exciting to me and especially the tasting part <laughs> mm -hmm. yes that's that's one of the most interesting things of it all um building flavors using what you have so 
Mm-hmm. And speaking of building flavors, I see we're going to bring it back to chips because that should just let y'all know that that is my snack of choice. Because now when you go to a grocery store or a convenience store, wherever, there are so many different flavors mm-hmm. of chips. And sometimes I wonder how are y'all getting these flavors onto this potato chip? A potato chip is not supposed to taste like this. How are y'all, how? Are you able to speak a little bit about how these flavors are created? Yeah, so you have a few different standards. It really does depend on whether you have a Lay's or a Pringle. They're formulated totally different ways. Um, And So you have a flavor carrier. So you've got like an oil, then you have your seasonings. Um, Generally your seasonings come from vendors like, well, I can't give examples right now, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) then you kind of just layer the flavor um, and then you add particular additives in there. It may be an MSG or it may be a citric acid to give you a tangy sour note. And so you continue to build the flavor. Um, Then you add something like a maltodextrin, which is an additive that helps with um, declumping and also spreadability of this product. Like being able, like for example, when you're looking at a flaming Hot Cheeto, right? This flavor all the way around it, there's no clumping. It's not any, you know, bald spots for lack of better words on your Cheetos. I hate to keep referencing Cheetos, but. <laughs> But, um, you know, that helps with the spreadability of the product, essentially. And so that's generally the steps to creating flavors for chips. And um, there's so many types of flavors, you couldn't even taste them all. And they're actually flavor scientists or flavor chemists that can pick out notes and uh, identify them to create whatever you want. So there's a, there's an art to it all. There's an art to food science for sure. (laughs) Definitely. Oh my goodness. So let me ask you this then. Are food scientists responsible for how deliciously addictive certain foods are? Um, should I plead the fifth? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There are some things that create addictive characteristics and food yes yes um but i'm not owning up to it okay i'm just gonna no comment that one (laughs) okay see we're getting to the good stuff there because look i know that it's certain chips it's like oh it's a this this one was a little salty and then the next i'm like oh that was a little sweet and now it's like my taste buds are like we want more we want more the taste the texture just keeps me i guess excited and like I have to continue to, to eat <laughs> yes it's a bit of the it's a bit of all of it the the salty the sweet the umami the msg which is umami essentially um uh, it, it creates that addictive taste it really does so hey it is what it is <laughs> okay see all right all right y'all y'all can read in between the lines of that answer <laughs> Oh my goodness. You think you just like those chips because you like them. No, they were engineered to be that addictive. Mm, Okay. Moderation, moderation, moderation. Okay. No, don't tell me moderation when this food was created to make me want some more. That's fine. That's why when I go to the grocery store, I say, don't go down the chip aisle. Don't do that. Because next thing you know, it's five different flavors of chips in Uh my cart. And then I'm looking at them in my cabinet like, no, don't eat them. Uh Uh-huh. Well, (laughs) (laughs) follow the serving size on the back. Follow the serving size. Uh, Yes, follow the serving size. Eat those four chips and then Mm -hmm. put (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> eat those five m and then put the bag down <laughs> all right well i'm not gonna press you too much about that i don't want i don't want you to have to give away any secrets um let's take a quick break you're listening to let's grab coffee on wyxr 91.7 fm 
This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Allie Manning, a food scientist and entrepreneur. And of course, we're talking about food science. And I want to get into another aspect of kind of the work that you do, which I know is a lot related to the community, um, community sustainability and also working with um, other food entrepreneurs as well. So I wanna kind of get into that aspect of some of what you do. Um, so let's start with your own food consultancy that you created, because I know you're not in the food science industry, I guess proper maybe, um, and you have your own company, Umami. So let's talk a little bit about that. Now, why did you decide to create your own food consultancy? Yeah, so interesting enough, um, I was fired. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, late August 2019, I was set free from my job. I call it set free because I was in such a negative headspace and really depressed um, creatively and just as a whole. And so I had chatted with some girlfriends of mine. I said, what do y'all think about me starting a food business consultancy? They're like, go for it. You know, they're all entrepreneurs. And um, and so I was up early one morning. The name came to me and it stuck and it worked. And so I began to work the plan, uh, lean on my resources at Epicenter, um, friends that I knew in the industry, and it just evolved. And it has been such a blessing. I, I love helping food fellow food entrepreneurs. Um, I, I generally specialize in product development, nutritional analysis, regulatory um, aspects of the business, and a little bit of branding and marketing as well. And so um, I've kind of niched down and figured out what my specialty is. And uh, I love it. I really do enjoy it. So it was... Um, something that I hadn't really planned to do, but I, I spoke it into existence and it happened, so. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that idea of, you know, being able to get that freedom, that creative freedom, but also something that you really enjoy because there's nothing like having a career that you feel very fulfilled by. And it right. sounds like Umami is that for you. Absolutely. I always wanted to do meaningful work, um, be immersed in the Memphis food culture, and I am in so many different ways. Um, And it just feels good to have an impact in this way um, and feel valued. You know, I've been able to use what I've learned in the industry to really help um, food businesses and food entrepreneurs. So it's, it's definitely where I'm supposed to be. Yes, I love it. Now, could you give us an example of um, a company that you've worked for or worked with and maybe how you have helped them in their food entrepreneurship? Yeah, so uh, I have a few local clients that I absolutely love and some nationwide, but uh, Pops Kernels is one of my favorites. Tamiko and her husband are fantastic. Um, They came to me looking for some help with packaging and nutrition labels, as well as shelf life testing. So how long can the popcorn last? I know that popcorn is fantastic, so it generally doesn't last long in this household. So... (laughs) So I was able to help them uh, get some uh, packaging and labeling uh, design and as well, and um, help with identifying the shelf life of their products. So they have scaled up. Tamiko is working on her storefront now, and I'm just so excited for them. Yes, I love Pops kernels. So it should probably not come as a surprise that I also love popcorn. Again, just staying Mm -hmm. with that kind of salty, crunchy snack, right? Mm -hmm. I love popcorn. I really like Pops kernels. And I'll tell you why you mentioned that shelf life aspect. And, you know, kudos to you because... I got um, one of the city tasting boxes and their popcorn was in it. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised at, cause you know, you're thinking popcorn, oh, it's gonna be, you know, soggy and not that crisp crunch for long. Uh, but that popcorn was absolutely delicious and crunchy. Yes, crisp. <laughs> yes. 
it, they, their quality is impeccable and the way that they process their popcorn is why their popcorn stays fresh so long. So I'm, I'm just excited for them and their growth. They have been featured and have had partnerships with Amazon and so many other companies. So I'm excited for her. Yes, that is so great. And now let's say for folks who are listening who might be food entrepreneurs um, or maybe have just a vision, right, for a food business, you know, at what stage would they benefit from your consulting? So they would benefit from my consulting services, I would say, either early on or midway through um, their product development. So I've worked with caterers and restaurant owners before um, that are interested in products. Um, and so many times folks may not have, they may have the recipe, but they don't have the nutrition label, mm-hmm. or they may have a product, but they may, their, their branding may be a little bit subpar, or they might be looking to find a, a, or build out a kitchen, commercial kitchen and need some regulatory help. And so that's when I come in. So I would say in the beginning stages, I can help there. And then in the middle, generally, once you're towards the end, you're kind of already past those hurdles. So I kind of help food entrepreneurs really tackle those issues beyond the kitchen and help them find the resources that they need. So Mm -hmm. Got it. And it's so important to have that set up in the beginning a firm foundation, because that does set the tone for kind of the direction of your business as you continue to grow. So thinking about food science, again, you know, food is not just the end product, what we're eating, but it's so many other components behind the scenes uh, that your average consumer, you know, isn't thinking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I know that you're also involved with Project Green Fork. And so I think folks who are listening from the Memphis area may be familiar with the name Project Green Fork. I know I have seen before like little stickers in restaurant um, windows about Project Green Fork. And now could you give us just an overview of what Project Green Fork is? Yeah, absolutely. So Project Green Fork really is all about sustainability uh, within restaurants. Um, Restaurants have an issue with food waste many times. And so, and our city has an issue with food waste, um, quite frankly. And so um, we help food entrepreneurs or food restaurants specifically um, get connected with organizations that are um, focused on sustainability. So how can they compost? How can we get them connected to Atlas, which is the major composting um, company here in the city? Uh, Or how can we get them connected with Get Green Recycling, which helps them to recycle all of their cardboard and plastic items? um, We get them connected with um, So Fresh and So Green, which is all about using green products, cleaning products, um, we get them connected with uh, Eco Products, who has compostable to-go and utensils. And then we also help them come up with strategies for eliminating or reducing food waste in their businesses. And um, yeah, so there, there are like six pillars that they go through to become members, members of BGF. And then we also have some different value adds when it comes to discounts and things like that, um, media partners, social media um, highlights. And so it's really great to be their program consultant for Project Green Fork so that we can increase visibility. It was a program that was um, really well known years ago, but kind of fell off because of, you know, just not having someone to lead the program. And so now I've come in to figure out how we can breathe life back into the program and get more members involved. Uh, another thing about Project Green Fork, it had been more of a niche um, <clears throat> membership organization, meaning Midtown, you know, um, ones who lean towards sustainability. And so with my reach, I hope to get more Black and people of color um, who own restaurants involved in, in Project Green Fork because sustainability is for everyone. And I think it's just a bit about awareness and knowing that we're, we exist and that it's possible to have sustainable practices in your business. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like sustainability is becoming um, maybe more of a buzzword or people are more keyed into issues of sustainability um, through a variety of different kind of outlets, especially as we think about uh, our not only our city, but our world's future moving forward and how key sustainability is going to be to whatever future we, you know, what that future might look like. And you said something um, interesting when you talked about food waste. Um, And that's not just the actual food product waste, but that is all the other components as well. Right. That's, um, you know, looking at how can you reduce water and energy. Um, But of course, to or or reduce your portion sizes, um, you know, encouraging people to take to go where or, you know, that type of thing helps with eliminating food waste. And also, Purchasing, when you're purchasing from a distributor, um, making sure that you're keeping an eye out for um, or or doing enough data analysis, I guess you could say, to determine how much food you're actually preparing, how long the fish lasts, how many, you know, plates you're selling. All these things help you to reduce food waste. Got it. Now, you talked about food waste as it pertains to, of course, restaurants, right? But is there something as kind of individual households that we should be thinking about when it comes to food waste or kind of issues of sustainability in our own um, lives as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, Implementing some of those same strategies, like if you're going grocery shopping, um, maybe not get the big box of lettuce you know, that goes to waste at the end of the week because we ate out twice, get the smaller (laughs) box of lettuce, you know? Um, Just monitoring how much you're purchasing, looking at the shelf life, determining if you should freeze some of those meat products um, will help to eliminate food waste. Or you can, um, you know, hire compost house, which is a part of Atlas as a way to, utilize composting or, or, or begin doing co- composting um, as a form of, as a form of uh, food waste redu- reduction. Oh goodness, no, <laughs> food waste reduction um, so that it doesn't go to the landfill. Um, there are, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of the farmer's market. So supporting your local farmers and you know that'll help them re- reduce food waste as well. Um, by just supporting them and purchasing local so um, or donating food I don't I don't know you know I there's some policies around that if you're a per you know if you're a household versus a business but there's some options for that as well Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So those are some really good practical tips that we all can be implementing when we're thinking about food waste, when we're thinking about sustainability. And then also, I think it's just really good to to understand why businesses might be using the compostable to-goes or cutlery, which might be a change from what we're used to. And we might think, oh, this is weird, or we don't like it as much as we like, you know, the feel of the plastic, (laughs) right, containers or cutlery. But understand, that using the compostable items is helping not only businesses, but also our environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing, uh, really quickly, not a one save the food is a part of our organization uh, as Memphis transformed as a platform. And one thing that we encourage folks to do is use those food items multiple ways. How can you use asparagus three ways? How can you use you know, ground beef a few different ways. And so that it doesn't go to waste. Um, That's another way to be innovative and and try some new things out as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love the innovation. All right, now you mentioned, um, of course, supporting local, um, patronizing our farmers markets, um, all about supporting local, and especially thinking about our, you know, local and regional farmers as well. And I know that um, one organization that you are involved with is Ag Launch. And so could you tell us just a little bit about what Ag Launch is? Yeah, so Ag Launch really helps uh, farmers and food entrepreneurs in areas of technology, um, getting them the resources that they need from 
expert level. So I work with farmers and food entrepreneurs, honestly, to do the same things that we've mentioned. You know, we as food scientists, we have the ability to um, evaluate soil um, composition and growth patterns and um, in order to improve productivity of the farms um, and, and, and ultimately improve the food supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our goal when working with farmers is maintaining and expanding the food supply, essentially, um, making sure that they can grow what they need to grow to meet the demands, but also so they can sell whatever they need to sell and get connected with restaurant owners um, that may want local produce. And so that's kind of my role with um, Ag Launch as a, as a mentor pro. I love this idea. Again, of just, you know, talking more in depth and learning more about the whole, I guess, food process, right? Or growing agriculture process. Because again, I think so often it's easy to take for granted everything that had to happen in order for there to be food at the farmer's market or in the grocery store and ultimately, you know, on your plate. Um, And there's so much that we take for granted, especially for folks who, you know, we grew up in the city, we weren't connected necessarily to the land in some way we didn't grow up on a farm so it's not kind of just our um in our knowledge base right so we can take for granted how much really goes into the process and you mentioned a few things um thinking about how as a food scientist you can think about the soil right the nutrients in the soil what crops these might be supportive of or if there are additional um, things that need to happen to prepare the soil but I'm also wondering too because you mentioned it earlier um, as we were talking about how food scientists um, might be influencing crops or creating crops that maybe are, uh, I don't know, healthier or grow faster or adaptive to whatever conditions. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, GMOs are not foreign. They're, they're, they've been around forever. Um, Although, you know, people consider them so bad. I get it. But um, honestly, I'm pro GMOs because of once again, food supply, you have, um, you know, some crops are created to minimize pesticides or pesticide usage um, or uh, be bug resistant or disease resistant. And so, or to be, you know, create more efficient crops. So there's a lot that goes into it um, that we assist with as food scientists and we do a lot of research around it. And it's important research. It's important when you're looking down the line, okay, how can we create enough uh, cotton or enough uh, corn Mm -hmm. to feed our planet? Because uh, not only do we have to feed humans, we feed animals. And so um, there's, there's a lot of research that goes on around that. And there's a lot of technology, drone technology, satellite technology to help to create more efficient uh, healthy crops. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, there are all agriculture scientists, ag scientists and animal scientists are really have really cool jobs. I just can't do it. Like, uh, it's not my thing. I like food more so, um, and humans, but, uh, definitely think that it's, it's just, it's where, young people need to actually consider going into. Um, If you're in food science, and I'm going to plug food science anyway, um, but if you're a person, a young person that's creative, likes math, likes science, um, likes technology, food science is a great way to go because you're able to touch so many different things. And um, depending on your industry, you can create packaging for a brand or you can create new products, you can do research and you know, there's so much that you could do as a food scientist. So yeah, I I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it sounds so fun. And again, food, like (laughs) as you mentioned before, there will always be a job because we will have to eat Mm -hmm. what it is that we're eating or how that might look, you know, will change as the technology changes, but we will need food. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. And I think it's, you know, what you said, you know, is so important around GMOs. Again, so some people, you know, automatically hear, you know, something about genetically modified foods and think automatically, oh, that's bad. But, you know, farming has always been responsive to technology. It's just the technology now is very different than that romanticized version of farming that we might have in our minds. That's right. That's right. You know, you have someone Put, build a garden out there out there in their backyard and challenge them to keep it up and maintain it. It's not as easy as it sounds. So <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into it. And so creating more opportunity. I also think there's a disparity, but we can get into that on another conversation. <laughs> but, um, you know, just making sure that it's efficient is kind of the way to go. Absolutely. Well, let's take another break. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Allie Manning, a food scientist and the entrepreneur behind Umami Food Consulting. And of course, we've been talking all about food um, and food science in its many iterations throughout, I guess, the, the chain of food or the life cycle of food and food products. And something that you kind of mentioned throughout is how as consumers we can educate ourselves Um, and I'm wondering what are some of maybe some key areas as food consumers that we should be more cognizant of or even if there are specific sources where we can get good information about food the internet is filled with so much information um I would actually have to like look at a few sites to see what's reputable um, for the average consumer. I would fall default to FDA, but you know, I know some folks have issues with that <laughs> or USDA.gov. But there are so many sites that are that have uh, information regarding nutrition and what children should eat and how um, food affects our planet and things of those nature things of that nature. So just looking at sites that have factual information um, is key. Another thing is, I guess, think about what you're consuming. I, I, I feel like that's so general, but thinking about the nutritional aspect of what you're consuming. Are you eating all of your colors? You know, are you eating fruits and veggies? Like, is it a balanced meal in your household? I think using common sense is kind of the way I would approach education. But also there are so many types of um, organizations, even local farmers and even some urban farmers like down at Knowledge Quest. Um, There's an urban farm right in South Memphis. You know, there are farms all around us. And I think asking the right questions will help you understand um, your community and your food system. Talking to experts like myself, you know, um, can kind of guide the conversation around food. And even chefs, chefs have a great opinion and and perspective. So I hope that answers your question, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of information out there. It's just important to sift through the noise and focus on what's important to you and your household. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And you mentioned one piece about also thinking about kids and kind of what they might be interested in or thinking about nutritional value as it pertains to kids specific needs. And I want to talk about your food science for kids program, because I think this is a great introduction to food science, then also maybe thinking about other aspects of food as well. So could you tell us more about food science for kids? Yeah, so food science for kids was uh, birthed out of the pandemic. It was um, an opportunity for me to share what I love. I saw the kid, so I saw a gap in education around that time when the pandemic first hit, and kids were out of school. Parents didn't know what to do, and everybody was talking about pivoting. And so um, I did a quick survey in my Instagram stories, and I said, "Does your friend?" Does your kid like food? Does your kid like science? And I started class the next week. And so since then, it's a national program. I've taught children um, ages 
really three through 12, we've got siblings and, you know, cousins involved, but it's so much fun teaching these little ones um, science as it relates to food. And so we've talked about everything from nutrition to gardening and growing to composting. We've done uh, studies around carbonation and chocolate science, ice cream science. We've done all kinds of experiments and activities. And so when I started um, back this year, I started with um, Knowledge Quest and taught ages, well, third through eighth grade. And so that was fun. And then I'll be starting back with Star Academy here in the next few months doing some in-person learning. So yeah, it's been great um, teaching these little ones food science. I love that because, you know, I love this just very simple question of like, does your kid like food mm-hmm. <laughs> and do they like science? And those seem kind of like no brainers, um, but making that relevant to kids' lives, I think is so important because how kids feel about food and also how they feel about science will very much shape their future. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they've been able to apply so many different things into their own household. So Mm -hmm. that makes it super fun. So would there ever be um, food science for adults? No, adults are challenging. So probably (laughs) not. (laughs) I do want to, I do specialized programs, but you know, I, I do prefer the little ones. So <laughs> they're more impressionable. They're very much more impressionable. Okay. So yeah. maybe if you're a parent and your kids are, you know, interested like food and like science, and you can kind of listen in on some lessons, but otherwise you're on your own. <laughs> right. And we do, we have, this is a family fun activity and parents are always joining us. Even we made bread and muffins and pizzas. So parents have always been somewhere in the room while I'm teaching. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it reminds me of um, another guest I had who was talking about math. And I know people often have an aversion to math and sometimes people have an aversion to science as well. Um, but as Dr. Dana Miller-Cotto was explaining, you know, everyone is a math person because it's so much of our everyday lives. And I feel that same way about food science and everything you shared with us today. Like all of us are, you know, in some ways, science people, it's impacting our lives and we're engaging in science, even in ways that we might not kind of call quote unquote science. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's in our, it, it stems back to um, societal, like cultural things, you know, it's cooking is a science. hmm Absolutely. And the best science, again, because food. (laughs) Y'all, I just love food so much. (laughs) So I'm so excited about, you know, thinking about science. Um, You know, I'm clearly not a food scientist, but there is food science impacting my life. And so this has been such a great conversation to really think about the many ways that all of our lives are impacted by food scientists, right? Yes. Thinking again about, you know, all the things that we're consuming as well. Definitely. Well, Allie, we are close to the end of our time together. So I want to thank you again so much for spending some of your Monday morning with us. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity if there are any kind of closing words or advice or things that you would like our listeners to know. Just to close, I think that it's important to enjoy your food in moderation. I think that many times we try to remove everything from our diet and then we begin craving it even more. But if we can enjoy food in moderation, understand the labels, talk to someone, you know, if you need to ask questions, then I think it'll help us to be better food consumers. Um, I think that also it's important on a personal note to, um, Carpe diem, that's what I live by, you know, seize every day and enjoy the time that we have because, you know, this has been a really interesting (laughs) last couple of years. And so um, I think it's important to do that. And I I do that through food. I love food. I'm a foodie. I talk about it all the time on social media. Um, I have a children's book that's coming out soon 
called Can I Play With My Food? Um, <laughs> and I'm excited to just share this story, but there's a lot going on um, on my end. And, you know, being able to do meaningful work is really one of my greatest joys. So, um, yeah, that, that's all I've got for today. If you want to know more, yes. um, follow me, Allie Glad underscore Carpe Diem on Instagram or at Umami Food Consulting on Instagram or check out my website, uh, ally-manny.com or umamifcc.com. So that's it for me. Awesome. I know we will definitely be looking out for that book. Can I play with my food? That is going to be so exciting. Um, will that be book be out maybe later this year or what are you thinking on the timeline? I am hoping for a beginning of next year release. I'll be marketing it soon. So this is my first time sharing this. <laughs> on a platform like this. So I've really got to get it done now. <laughs> yes, because we will definitely be looking for that book. Um, I can't wait. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and we'll definitely be on the lookout for everything else that you have coming up. So thank you again, Allie. Thank you. Thank you, thank you again to Allie Manning, the food scientist and founder of Umami Food Consulting for joining us this morning. And I love that her parting words were carpe diem for us to seize the day, especially as it comes to food, uh, but also because carpe diem is really a horticultural metaphor that is more accurately translated as plucking the day versus seize the day as we often think about it. And so again, just tying in that whole part of food science in the many ways that agriculture, horticulture is implicated in the food products that we eventually end up consuming. So I have learned so much today and about one of my favorite topics, food, a topic that I'm sure we are all familiar with, but hopefully you can feel encouraged to um, be educated as consumers, also have a little bit of insight behind the whole process that goes behind the food that eventually ends up on our plates. And so for today's positive note, I will just echo Allie and say carpe diem, especially when it comes to food, the best way to take advantage and enjoy the day. And then I also wanted to leave you with a quote by Alton Brown, who I think a lot of folks might be able to identify as a food sciences. And he said, the kitchen is a laboratory and everything that happens there has to do with science. It's biology, chemistry, physics. Yes, there's history. Yes, there's artistry. Yes to all of that. But what happened there, what actually happens to the food is all science. And I think we definitely learned that this morning as well. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I can't wait to have you join me back here next Monday morning. <laughs>